And welcome back, sports fans. It's another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess, here, as always, with my faithful co-host, Mr. Brad Cross. And Brad, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well, Donnie. We had a, quite a crazy weekend in the soccer world and all over the sports landscape. It's been pretty impressive over the last couple of days, and we'll get right into it here. Can't wait. This this will definitely be a week of football or footy, depending on how you how you say it. Considering, unfortunately, two of our topics in our normal game plan are no longer available. So in our game plan, we have football. We will talk about Euros, Copa America, the Gold Cup, and some very interesting big signings in European domestic leagues that we have to talk about. And then we jump down to footy, down to Australia. Round seventeen is it. More and more upsets and COVID chaos is grappling the entire country of Australia. We will go through that and we will always, as per usual, end with Brad's crazy stat of the week. A nice quick episode here this week. Let's jump right into it. The football, it is over. We have new European champions and Italy take home the trophy and unfortunately, football is not coming home. Yeah, it was quite the quite the festive atmosphere at Wembley. It was it was just crazy all around with the with the people trying to get into the stadium pregame and everything crazy going on after the game. It was just an insane game. And then Luke Shaw with his very first goal for England coming in the European final at Wembley in front of the home fans. I mean. I could only imagine just being in the stadium and play. I mean, like you could hear the songs and the chants when the ball was, when the ball was out of play and you could hear when the game was stopped and all that, everyone singing and chanting. And then toward the end, Italy taking control of the game and you could just sense more and more that it was going to go Italy's way. And then of course it gets down to penalties and I'll, I'll humble brag a little bit about this, that I called the, the outcome of it going 1-1 and then going to penalties. And then, of course, me looking like a fool, thinking that England could break the penalty hoodoo, and they go and lose on penalties. But you you also called it that John Luigi Donnarumma was going to be the superior penalty stopper and stopping two of the last three penalties with Rashford, of course, missing the third one as well. So it, it's really tough for England because – they looked really impressive throughout this whole tournament that their defense was very rock solid. They were able to get many players, a lot of experience onto the field and they just weren't able to get it done in the end. And it came down in the end to a couple of kicks, just not going their way. And in, unfortunately in penalties, Rashford, Sancho and Saka missing or having their penalties saved. Yeah, this was this is for me. This was a tale of two Englands. This was the tale of the first England that gets the goal in the second minute of the game, and really, I think had Italy on the back foot for most of that first fifteen to twenty minutes of that game, where I thought there for a while England was going to run away with it early. Like after they scored second minute in, I'm like, oh my gosh, England may may put up two or three goals here in the first half and just run away with it early. But you could kind of tell after that 20th minute, I don't know if they used all that energy up or or what, but I think it was almost like England said, okay, we're up one nothing. I think we can hold it. We'll be fine. And Italy just kept coming. They kept pressuring. They kept attacking. And then when, when that goal went in for Italy, I went, uh-oh, that's not good. Because uh, to kind of half humble, I I said we should combine our humble brags together. Because your humble brag, you called the one one, we'd go to penalties. And I humble brag because I said England does not want to go to penalties because when you have John Luigi Donnarumma in between the sticks, you've got a massive goalkeeper with incredible athleticism taking on penalties against Jordan Pickford, a rather slight of body goalkeeper. I think Italy has the better goalkeeper in and of itself. So that's why I said, England cannot go to penalties. They go to penalties. Italy's got a better chance of winning this. And I, I, I'm not going to say I called it perfectly because I agree with you. Rashford missing himself, putting it off the bottom part of the post. I think he thought too much. He tried to make that penalty 10 times harder than it was. Make it simple. Pick a corner. Blast it in there. Hope the goalkeeper picks the wrong way. Plain and simple. I think he overthought it, and it backfired. And with Sancho and with Saka – 
God bless those two young players. They're going to be incredible talents, but both of them were mediocre penalties. They were put right where Donnarumma could get to them. Donnarumma picks the right side. Easy one-handed save with both of them, unfortunately. So this was a, this was a game. It was England took the lead early, but I think England lost the game more than Italy won it because England kept Italy in the game. If England would not have pulled back, I think England should have won this one at least two or three to nil, if I'm being completely honest with myself. Well, and Stuart Robson said it perfectly in the pregame. He said that if this became a tactical battle, Italy would win. If it became an athleticism battle, that England would win. And sure enough, it came down to the tactics of Southgate switching from a four in the back to a five in the back, getting Trippier back in, taking Saka out of the starting eleven playing with a five in the back to start getting the early goal and kind of in a way playing a little bit of Mourinho ball and scoring early and then just sitting back and defending. And yes, England has good defenders, but they don't have Chiellini and Benucci. I mean, Chiellini and Benucci, apart from that first goal, I mean, they stood on their heads and they really shut it. They shut England down completely for the rest of the game. I mean, there were, there were very few moments going forward throughout the rest of that game that I thought that England had a really solid uh, solid attacking chance going forward. I mean, Italy throughout the entirety of the latter half of the first half and into the pretty much the entire second half and throughout the rest of the game, really, I mean, they were really on the attack, on the front foot, controlling the game from their midfield with Verratti, Jorginho, and the rest of those players in the middle. And then Chiesa really shone. I mean, it's a shame that he didn't get a goal because I think that he was really one of the best players of that match because Chiesa was creating attacks left, right, and center. I mean, mm-hmm. every couple of minutes, it seemed like Chiesa was making an attacking run down the wing, cutting in and getting a shot on Pickford. I mean, he played a really good game. And even with the substitutes that Italy was making, going to, you could you could say, maybe a little bit less of an attacking threat with the likes of Bernardeschi and others coming in. I mean, they were still able to put, England back into their defensive third and force the game onto them. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and I want I want to discuss this this topic with you really quick. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast and, and they brought up this fact, and I completely agree with it. Did Southgate miss a chance to win this an extra time by bringing on Sancho and Saka too late? Like he noticed that by the time that Sancho and Saka and Rashford all by the time Rashford and Sancho had come on that it was the 117th minute giving them very little time to not only get into the game but to make any impact besides being an offensive threat as a penalty as a penalty taker yeah and i think that that's one of those things that you can kind of look at in two ways i mean one we we've seen people bring we've seen managers bring players on for penalties both attacking players to take the penalties and goalkeepers to save them just for the purpose of penalties. I mean, the most notable is Tim Krul for the Netherlands back in the World Cup a couple of years ago. He came on against Costa Rica and knocked them out on penalties when he came on to save the penalties in the shootout. But yeah, like you were saying, then there's also the, the saying that they have no time to get their legs under them in a match scenario. And one they, they had to throw Marcus Rashford into a role as a right back because they had to take Kyle Walker off for that penalty scenario. And so there was a couple of minutes down at the very end of that game where Rashford was playing as a right back. And if they wanted to, they could have just had an attacking run going down the left hand side against Rashford one-on-one. And they could have gone around him and scored on Pickford and made it 2-1 an extra time, not even got to penalties. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like what you were saying, I mean, you're, you're putting on these really young guys who – Saka more than Sancho in this case really didn't have a whole lot of game experience in this tournament hardly at all I mean we really didn't get to see a whole lot of Jaden Sancho and for Saka he didn't really get to make much of an impact in the latter half of the tournament at all I mean you got both of these guys coming on I mean Sancho's 20 Saka's 19 and you're having these guys take penalty kicks in the European championship final. And I mean, bless their hearts. I mean, it, it takes a lot of courage to do that in the first place, but I think that Southgate really could have used them earlier on in the match. I mean, I think that those would have been good substitutions to make at the end of regular time, heading into the first period of extra time to start because 
kind of like what we're talking about the tactical battle. I mean, they could have had much more of an impact on the game in that 30 minutes period of extra time to start with, and then had their legs under them and more match match simulation under their belts before they go into the penalty shootout. Yeah, I agree. And the fresh legs too. You, you, you get weary legs in the Italian side and you bring in fresh, fast legs. And I think that is a deadly combination. Unfortunately, hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and say that, but it is kind of a thing where you kind of looked at it, even as I was watching the game, I'm like, why aren't, why isn't he getting on an offensive threat, a, a, a quicker player, now, when Chiellini and Bonucci are tired, this is the great time to attack them. They're they're going to have heavy legs because they've been playing the 110 so minutes. Sancho, Rashford, I mean, they have pace. Put them on and let them get a few runs in. At least test these, this, shall we say, um, experienced um, center back pair for the Italians. Unfortunately, he he thought he could win it in the penalties. And, and Donnarumma said, I don't think so. So we jumped from there. Not only did we have one amazing big tournament final, but we have two. As we see the Copa America final, the Saturday before Euros, and hold, your, hold, hold the phone, Lionel Messi has an international trophy. Argentina beats Brazil in the Copa America final in Brazil. I, I mean, Round of applause to Messi and Argentina for finally, finally getting off the proverbial schneid. Yeah, and Angel Di Maria gets the winning goal. And, I mean, it was quite a quite a crazy goal in and of itself. A misplayed back pass, hard touch into space, and then he lobs the keeper from about 25, 30 yards out. I mean, it's such composure for Di Maria to get that goal. And then just great astute defending by the Argentinians. They were – they were outpossessed 59% to 41%, outshot 13 to 6, but Argentina took advantage of their chances and Brazil didn't. And this is a great moment for Lionel Messi, who seven years on after losing the World Cup final in that exact same stadium, the Maracanã in Rio, he gets it done in the Copa America, albeit in front of a very small crowd in the Maracanã due to obvious COVID reasons. And it would have been great to be able to see the originally if the tournament was held in Argentina and Colombia like it was originally supposed to, to be able to see Messi lift the trophy at home in Argentina. But he gets the job done against their major international rivals in Brazil. And I mean, Donnie, this is just this is a really interesting game seeing how Argentina really weren't necessarily the biggest attacking threat going forward, but they were still able to get it done. They were able to hold it down for Messi and Messi gets the job done. This was just a game that I, I remember watching this game and I marveled at how physical this game is. I mean, for me, maybe maybe I'm, I'm weird like this. I think of Brazil. I think of Argentina. I think of fast, athletic, tricked out, quick moving football. This was like this was like a game. This was like a game between Bristol Bristol City and 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 um, another champions. Um, stage your English team I mean this was two physical teams getting after it I mean at one time even Neymar's shorts were ripped in half because of some of the time like ripped underneath his numbers on his on his left hand side that was how physical this game was there were so many fouls there were so many cards this game like I said this was just a, a Preston North End versus Bristol game I mean it was insane how physical this game of football was I'm so happy for Messi he gets the champion he gets the cup that he's that's been eluding him so many times and the fact that Di Maria does it with a cheeky little chip over the over the keeper you, you got to give him a little bit of credit and it now makes you question now I mean was was is Brazil a little bit of bluster if Neymar can't do Neymar things yeah it's one of those things where you would think that maybe if they had a few more attacking options that they might have been able to get done but you, I mean you can just look at the Brazilian team and you have the likes of Neymar, Charleston, Firmino off the bench, Vinicius off the bench, Gabriel off the bench, Paquetá was playing well too. And you have to think that is our Brazil's glory days behind him. And I mean, I don't think that they necessarily are because I think that they're still very, very tough and they're very skilled and they have a lot of amazing players in that team. But Argentina finally breaking through that glass ceiling, if you will, and able to get the win. And it's just incredible that 
this Argentinian team that has been criticized for a long time about not being at that level that everyone's used to seeing that they're not ever going to be able to get Messi a trophy. And then he gets it done and they're able to do it in Brazil of all places. Yeah. Just an incredible performance. It was, like I said, it was great to see. I mean, in the fact that even the announcers were saying there were people in Brazil that were actually cheering for Argentina um, just to see Messi get a title. So it was, it was a very interestingly unique championship game. Um, it was it was rather entertaining for a one nil for a one nil game. It was still rather entertaining. It kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. So we go, we went from Europe, we went to South America. Now we jump up to North America, the great old lovely Gold Cup here in Concafa, and surprisingly, this this Gold Cup has has rather had some surprises in this first in this first match day. Yeah, notably the Mexican national team drawing Trinidad and Tobago nil-nil in the first match. Of course, losing Chucky Lozano early is never a good thing to see, and hopefully he can make a full recovery. And then the USA with, honestly, a rather under, a little bit of an underachieving 1-0 victory over Haiti. They got the job done. But we got to see a couple of really interesting results, like Qatar coming into the Gold Cup and drawing Panama 3-3 and then Mexico getting back up and getting a 3-0 win on match day two in the first game of that match day. So now we're at the point where two match days in on Group A's side and for B, C, and D, still only one match played. And then a couple of matches tonight, we're going to see the USA back at it tonight. They're playing against Martinique at 8.30 and preceded by Haiti versus Canada, which is going to be really interesting if – we're assuming that the USA and Canada both could win those games. They'll end up coming down to USA versus Canada to determine the top seed out of the group. And it'll be really interesting to see how Burhalter sets up the team tonight for the United States, whether he gets Gianluca Busio a full game. He came in, of course, as a substitute, and it was so great to get to see the hometown fans in Kansas City cheering on Gianluca Busio and cheering every single touch of the ball. And he almost scored a goal, Donnie. I'm assuming, did you see the near golasso mm-hmm. that Busio had. Yes, an incredible performance. And, and it's hard to argue that he didn't really make a, a great argument. And, and I don't say an underachieving, but for me, an underwhelming game for me. I think they did just enough that they needed to do. They got the goal. They got the lead. They played good enough defense that Haiti didn't score. Offensively, I think there were some missed opportunities, but again, it's the first game of the Gold Cup. You're kind of getting your legs underneath you, um, so I, I'm, I'm not so much worried about the result. It's just more of will it come back to bite you? Only beating Haiti one nil. I'm not like I said, not you can't be upset. They won the game. Okay, it's not like Canada, it's not like Mexico in the first round against Trinidad and Tobago where you draw, where you leave yourself. Um, vulnerable to potentially not win the group. So so it's a win, an ugly win, an underwhelming win, but a win nonetheless. You got Martinique tonight who now you look at is, do you focus on the goal? Do you focus on the goal differential when it came to Canada, considering Canada be Martinique for one, or do you just play, get the win and set up the game against Canada in your last match day to where, you know, you beat them, you're on. No, you even have to worry about goal differential at all. Yeah, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see. And the squad selection is going to be really interesting because he went with Jonathan Lewis, Jossi Zardes, and Paul Ariola as the front three in the last game. Ariola went off with an injury about 10 minutes in. Jonathan Lewis was really non-existent, quite frankly. And Jossi Zardes didn't necessarily have the impact that he usually has. The goal came from a pretty unusual source in Sam Vines off of left back getting forward and getting the goal in that game. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there. And then the other ones coming up on this match day, we got Jamaica playing against Guadalupe tomorrow night. Costa Rica will play Suriname tomorrow. And then Granada will play Qatar and Panama will play Honduras on Saturday to finish off match day two. And then the big ones are going to be on match day three, all on either Sunday or Tuesday. Okay. So we, so we've went through it. Let's, let's, let's put on our, let's put our crystal balls in front of us here, Brad. Right now, we still got match day two to finish for the USA and match day three. So we look at these we look at these tables. Like I said, going into it right now, El Salvador leads Group A with six points, considering they have played two games with Mexico. 
Canada, USA are tied at three because they've only played one game. Costa Rica and Jamaica tied at three. Honduras leads Group D three with Qatar and Panama even at one. Let's put let's put you know, let's put your crystal ball out here. Who are the eight? Who are the two teams from each group getting to the knockout stages of the Gold Cup? So I think in Group A, I think it'll be Mexico one and El Salvador two. I think Mexico will get the win over El Salvador on match day three to put them seven points to El Salvador six. I think that USA and Canada will both get out of group B. I do think that the USA will get the win over Canada on match day three to get them nine points to Canada six. Group C is going to be interesting. I do think it's going to be Costa Rica and Jamaica getting out of that group. It's going to, I think, come down to goal differential. I think that that's a likely draw between Costa Rica and Jamaica on match day three, because I think that they're very even in terms of quality. And then I think for Group D will be the toughest one to call because I think it's going to be coming down to Honduras and Qatar. Quite frankly, I think that Qatar will have enough to get by Granada. And then I think that Honduras will probably be able to get past them. So I think that'll be those two. I'm not entirely sure about Panama getting through. I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not they can hold their own with Honduras because for me, Honduras is going to be the best team out of that group. I think it'll be very interesting for for me. I look at it as I, I completely agree with you with most of these. I see, I see, I Mexico. I think will beat El Salvador in, the, in this in this next game. So I think they're going to end up pulling out the win in the group. I think the U.S. also wins. I think the U.S. wins this group, but I think it's a tight game with Canada. I, I I cannot wait for that game between the U.S. and Canada. I think that's going to be an absolutely cracking game. I don't know. I, normally I like Costa Rica when it comes to playing Jamaica or some of the other teams in this, but I just, there's something about the way Jamaica with Jamaica having the way they've been matched up and they tend to be the boogeyman for either the U S or Mexico in this tournament. I think Mexico, I think Jamaica wins this group. Costa Rica finishes second. I think, I think that is going to have that one. And I don't, I really want to know how Honduras and Panama goes out because it could be very interesting. If Panama can somehow draw a drag, a draw out of Honduras, then I think it's going to come down to goal differential because Honduras Qatar could be quite an interesting game in that last matchup because it could be Panama needs to put three or four by Granada and then just hope that they either draw or that one of the other wins. So it's, it's going to be very interesting my thought is is that I think Panama had a bad first game. I think Panama gets a draw here against Honduras. I think they beat Granada. I think Honduras beats Qatar, and I think it's Panama and Honduras moving on to the round. I just there's something about Qatar I'm very interested in. I want to see how that kind of turns out. But um, I, I think if Panama can get a draw against Honduras, I think it's Panama and Honduras to move on. If Honduras beats Panama, I think Qatar is the one that will eventually move on in this tournament, in, in my personal opinion. So it'll be very, very interesting when we have our next podcast. We will know the knockout stages of the Gold Cup because all three match days will have been completed. And I think that will do it for our Gold Cup talk. And sir... We'll go to some domestic football. We are getting closer and closer to domestic football being back. Man, it seems like football is 365 days a year, especially on years like this when you've got the Europa and the Copa America. But we've got some massive, massive signings in domestics. Why don't you talk about a couple of some of the big-time signings that have happened over the last couple of days? Yeah, so for me, I'm going to highlight two here. So I'm going to go with the contract extension for Lionel Messi. And it's a five-year deal with a massive salary decrease. But he is scheduled now to stay with Barcelona for five more years until he's age 39. And by that point, he will have been in the Barcelona system for 26 years. For two-thirds of his life, he will have been under the Barcelona roof at La Masia or with the first team. So it's just really incredible to see that they were able to get everything figured out in the end that they were able to figure out a contract that worked for Leo and that he's able to get what he ultimately wanted was to be able to be a Barcelona man for the rest of his life, to be able to get through and go to be a Barcelona player for the foreseeable future and to get that ironed out. I think that's great for John Laporta, the president of Barcelona, to be able to get their man back under contract, under a new deal, and for Lionel Messi to be in the place that I think that he really wanted to be in the first place. I think that the previous president really kind of in a way screwed him over 
really, and it kind of made it really uncomfortable for him and the fellow players and the board members and all that. So I think that their situation is starting to stable out in terms of that. They've still got a lot of stuff to work out in terms of the financial aspect of the Barcelona setup. But I think that they're one step closer to being a little bit better off than they have been over the last couple of years. And then the other one kind of goes off of the European Championships and John Luigi Donnarumma signing a new contract, a five-year deal with Paris Saint-Germain. He'll now go and join Kaylor Navas in the goalkeeper room there. And apparently, Kaylor Navas is going to remain the number one goalkeeper at PSG from what I've heard. That John Luigi Donnarumma is coming in on this five-year deal off of being voted the best player at the European Championship. Yet apparently, it seems that PSG are planning to have Kaylor Navas as the number one goalkeeper. So we very well might see something really strange in that PSG goalkeeper room and having to see what transpires there, because I think that's going to be something that everyone's going to have their eyes peeled on. Oh man. I, I'm, I, I heard this story and I was hoping it wasn't right because that may, and, and we, we had stated earlier in the year when you and I were discussing John Luis Gianaruma, we said if he leaves Milan, which he did, where would he go? And PSG was one of the teams I threw out there almost kind of haphazardly. I wasn't really sure that it was an option. And then when I heard halfway through the European Championships, he's got a medical setup. He's most likely going to go there. It's like, okay, well, that's great. They've got their number one goaltender. And now that I'm hearing Navas, I mean, just I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Does this scream the Corton-Navas issue that they had at Real Madrid again? Oh yeah, that that that's what it's kind of seeming like to me. I think that Kilor Navas for a long time was really underappreciated, especially during the latter stages of his days in Real Madrid, especially after winning three Champions League titles in a row and then getting bumped back for Thibaut Courtois. I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Navas does now, because now that it seems like PSG have their man for the future in Donnarumma in, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Navas and I think I have an interesting one off of that. Potentially he can maybe go to Barcelona when, when they feel like they need to move on from Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. I mean, I don't know. I think that that could potentially be a, an interesting prospect going from Real Madrid to Barcelona and being the next man to do that little, little double deal. It's just very interesting, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost wondering in, 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 in go off my spitballing here is do you almost kind of feel like this will make this will make Navas's leash that much shorter. Like he'll have less room for error because they know they've got John Luigi Donnarumma sitting there. And it's like, maybe it's just me, but I'd have Donnarumma start because that gives you a solid backup that, you know, can do really, really well in in, in Kaylor Navas. But I honestly, like if they stay with that, which, which I mean, I'll help them if they do, because it takes a lot of huevos to do that because I mean, you're signing, one of the best young goalkeeper goalkeepers in the entire world. There's there's very hard to argue that with how many years he's been at Milan and been really, really good for them. And then this amazing European championships and you've got the huevos to put him as your second stringer on your team at PSG. I'm, I feel sorry for Kaylor Navas because I feel like he's going to give up two goals in one game and he's gone. He's going to get, he's going to get, it's a matter of time so quickly. And that's, that's a horrible place to play in because it's only going to make his performances that much more scrutinized. And it's, it's not an environment that I like. I, I, I think it only is going to cause more issues. I mean, unless Navas plans on retiring after this year, um, Five years is a long time if these two are going to try to be together. I, I, I don't see this lasting past this season, to be completely honest with you. I think eventually Navas is the first one shipped off, and I think they're going to just try to find the next closest person that's going to want him. Yeah, I think that that's going to happen too. I mean, you, you can't really have that type of situation. I mean, it kind of screams, screams Manchester United in a way because – after they signed Dean Henderson from Sheffield over this past season, it got to the point in the middle of this season where you're like, okay, well, do you really want to stick with David De Gea or are we going to truly go with, with Dean Henderson? Because we went ahead and signed him. 
there's no point in signing a goalkeeper for this amount of money or for this long of time and not play him. So it's going to be really interesting. And I think the goalkeeper market is going to be very interesting to follow over these next couple of months and whether or not Kaylor Navas ends up staying at PSG for longer than over the course of this season, which I don't think is going to happen. I think that he's going to end up finding his way somewhere else. And the crazy part about it is, as we kind of said, where does he go? I mean, he's not going to go to AC Milan. AC Milan's already filled their spot. So unless he wants to go basically take a kind of demotion, I mean, there's no big five club or big five league club that's big that's going to want him. And, and that's the sad part about it. I mean, this guy has done so much when he, his job at Real Madrid and he gets thrown away for Tibor Courtois. No offense, Real Madrid. How's that working out for you? Exactly. How many how many champions leagues does Tibor Courtois have? Um, that would be none. I mean, I I said it at the time. I said I don't understand why they're even bringing him in, unless yeah. Navas is retiring. Unless Navas retired, there's no reason to bring in Courtois. You had a number one goalkeeper. He was solid. He did what you needed. And Real Madrid kind of went, well, we've got money. Let's spend it. And it's it's. It's one of the things that does irk me off about European football sometimes is that they just because they have money, they have to spend it. It's always kind of bugged ask, me. Ba- ask Barcelona how that's going for them right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Especially considering you had to cut Messi's thing in half, and I guess they still aren't technically where they need to be for financial fair play and a couple other things. They still have to move people. There's They're- talk now. There's talk now of a swap deal between Gr- yep. for Griezmann to Atletico Madrid for Saul, I think it Saul, is. Saul, yep. Yep, Saul. And they said even if they did do that deal, they'd still probably need to move at least one, if not two players, just to be able to kind of break even, shall we say. The two, the two names that they really need to get rid of are Usman Dembele and Philippe Coutinho. And the big question is... Where would Coutinho go? What role would he take? And pretty much the same thing for Dembele. I mean, when Coutinho went on loan to Bayern Munich, I mean, he was really a rotation winger. Him and Perisic were both rotation wingers when Gnabry and Coman needed rest. And that was the role that he had at Bayern. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, he did what he was brought there to do. I mean, he was not brought into Bayern to be the number one winger. He was brought in as a rotation guy, both him and Perisic. Perisic kind of wanted that role a little bit more, and Cochino wanted to be more of the number one guy. And then similar for Dembele, he's still very young, and he still has potential to be a really high-level talent. But with that high of a price tag that Barcelona bought him for, he's going to be demanding that type of money from anywhere else that he wants to go, And you're going to really end up looking at that and going like, well, who's going to fork up the money for that? So, I mean, the the most likely thing that I could think of is maybe Dembele to, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Real Madrid are one of the only teams that's really had that type of money. I mean, they can maybe use a winger, but do you really want to swap Barcelona for Real Madrid and be one of the, one of quote unquote, those guys that went ahead and swapped the Blaugrana for the Blanco. So it's going to be very interesting to see, how they offload those two and whether or not the Griezmann Saul swap goes forth. Well, and and, the crazy part is, is Coutinho is turned into the new Gareth Bale. I mean, it it literally is what it is. I mean, it's, it's Barcelona's version of Gareth Bale. It's that he's on this big money. He's and nobody wants him because he, he, nobody's going to be able to afford him. I mean, I heard stories like Coutinho wants to go back to Liverpool. What does Liverpool need him for? I mean, it, Liverpool is set right now unless they move Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane. And all due respect to Philippe, Philippe Coutinho, that would be a downgrade. If I'm being completely honest with myself right now, right now, looking at it, Coutinho would be a downgrade from either of those two, if I'm yeah. being honest with myself. No, yeah. I mean, if we were talking about the 2015-2016 the Coutinho that was – playing lights out for Liverpool with him, Suarez, and Sturridge, and all those players when they were really, really good and threatening for the league title, then, yeah, you could bring him in for that type of money. But the type of money that Barcelona paid for him, I mean, it was ridiculous at the time. And you, you couldn't really expect for him to be able to go into a side with Suarez and Messi to be the heir to the Neymar 
thrown in that aspect of playing on that wing with those two. And you, you couldn't have expected him to be able to perform at that level there. I mean, it, it's just not reasonable to spend that type of money on a player like Coutinho. I mean, yes, he's good, but I don't think he's at that elite level. He may have been for one season, but again, one season, and it can land you a big transfer to Barcelona apparently, and then now they're all sorts of out of whack in terms of their finances. And the crazy part about it is, is and I have, a, I have a butt, I have a friend who's a massive Liverpool fan, and he, he pointed this fact out. He goes, for what Liverpool sold Coutinho for, they bought Alisson and Virgil van Dijk. Think about that crazy thought. Is that Those are two of the key cogs that helped win Liverpool, not only a Champions League, but also their first EPL in years. And that's what Philip Coutinho was sold for. Scary to think about. So I think that is going to wrap us up for our football section of our podcast. Let's jump down to Australia to footy. And oh my gosh, was round 17 as insanely upset riddled as I thought it was. Wow. Oh, wow. So yeah. let's jump. Go ahead. No, yeah, I was, I was just, I was just going to say this has been quite crazy. And I think for tipping, I, I definitely think that, last couple of weeks have really kind of thrown our <laughs> thrown us for a loop in terms of tipping. There's a couple of tips we got wrong, but I don't think we might didn't mind being wrong. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into it. Thursday night footy. Yeah. We recorded last Thursday, but we thought we'll wait and we'll talk, we'll talk about it. I think we'll do it the same thing with this week since we are recording on Thursday. Poor Adelaide hosts the Melbourne demons and the demons get themselves back on track with an 86 55 lead. And I hate to say it, sir, but I'm thinking Port Adelaide's flat track bully moniker is now just riding their neck like one of those, one of those crazy spinning um, necklaces that the the rappers used to used to wear there. Oh yeah, about ten years ago. Yeah, they're they're definitely kind of sputtering at the exactly wrong time. And for Melbourne, this is exactly what they were in need of: a big win on the road against another really tough team in Port Adelaide. And the D's get everything on track. They're able to get the win. Petraka with 33 disposals and three goals. McDonald with three goals. Kazi Pickett with three goals. I mean, they just got everything going for them. And they did it in a place at the Highlight Oval, which is never an easy place to go to and win. And it was just a very needed win to be able to just reassure them that, yes, they, they were sputtering for a little while, but they're still very much in contention for the flag this year. Who knows? The addition of Ben Brown seemed to open up McDonald and Keziah Pickett. So maybe Melbourne has found their answer to their to their scoring woes. We jumped to Friday night, and I watched this game, and I, I almost wished I didn't because this was not yeah. uh, this was not a pretty game. As Essendon hands the smacketh down to the Adelaide Crows, eighty four twenty one. Wow. And it could have been worse if Essendon didn't kick eighteen behinds. I mean, they could have kicked a couple of goals and won by a hundred points. And, I mean, this is just – this further further hammers home the point that the Essendon promise, the Essendon, like, pro, the, the upside that everyone is thinking that Essendon has is definitely there. And they are really in the fight for a final spot right now. And they are definitely coming along a lot better than some people definitely thought that they would be. Definitely that, that young baby bombers team. I think they are going to make some noise as we continue on. We jump down, <clears throat> excuse me. We jump down to Tasmania where the free mantle dockers. I yes, I'm saying this, the free mantle dockers put up 108 points. The first time scoring a hundred points under John Longmuir and they beat the Hawks down in Tassie 108 to 46. I'm going to have to say this was the start of several results that kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, welcome to the Rory Lobb show, right? Four goals and three behinds for Rory Lobb. And everything that just went right for Frio and everything went wrong for Hawthorne. And exactly what we thought would, wouldn't happen ended up happening. And everything just went exactly against Hawthorne. And we were kind of thinking that the positive record in Tasmania would help them out. And it turns out that Frio was able to go down and get everything done. I mean, I know this is a weird thought process, but in your head, do you think that the do you think that all the drama when it comes to the secession plan announcement, do you think that really affected the players? 
Oh, I think that I think that it definitely has affected him. I think it's kind of a little bit done the same with Collingwood. I mean, Collingwood had the one good game against against um, Melbourne when they were able to send Buckley off with a win, and they've kind of been up and down ever since then. And I think that for Hawthorne, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to be playing for this guy in X amount of years, clearly, because they've already announced it. So what's to say he's, he's going to end up even making it through the secession period? What's to say he's not going to get fired early and that we're not going to have a new coach at this point of the year, this point in the year. So it's really interesting. And I think that for Hawthorne, they probably could have waited until the end of the season to make this announcement. Yeah. But unfortunately with Sam Mitchell being pursued by Collingwood, I think unfortunately Collingwood kind of forced Hawthorne's hands here. We jump to it the next game and good old Carlton goes back to good old Carlton results as Carlton drops a game to Geelong 70 to 44 but I think the one thing everybody is talking about is seven consecutive behinds kicked by the Carlton Blues kicking 514 in this game I mean if they kicked half of these goals straight Carlton should have won this game if they had kicked straight I mean, look at the three-quarter time stat line. I mean, we got six goals, seven for Geelong, and then two goals to 13 behinds for Carlton. I mean, that in itself, I mean, that that's just amateur. That's amateur goal kicking in. I mean, we're not pros here, Donnie, but I know for a fact that you can kick a little bit straighter than that, and I can kick a little bit straighter than that. So it's one of those things that for Carlton, I mean, you've got to be able to nail these kicks. You have to – go into training and know that, okay, I can kick these goals. I can kick straight and they got to get into the game scenario and you, and you got to be confident in yourself to be able to go and kick the goals. Cause if you're not, then this is going to happen. And it was a 26 point win for Geelong, but it very easily could have been a win for Carlton. If they were able to kick any of these straight there, if they are able to kick five of these 14 behinds straight, then they're good. They're, they're able to win the game and mm-hmm. the table right now could be looking a whole lot different. And a Geelong team would be going into this round with a very different strategy when it comes to to moving it on, unfortunately. But and, and the crazy part is I watched this game. It wasn't like Carlton was having a bunch of snaps that they just missed. No, these these were even set shots that they were missing to the right and to the left. So so we'll, we'll, we'll bang on them a little bit because, come on, you got to kick straight. We jumped to it. Another massive upset. Who would have thought that the St. Kilda Saints would go into the GABA and knock off Brisbane 95-63? And unfortunately, not only did Brisbane lose the game, but they also lose one of those three-headed monsters as Eric Hipwood tears his ACL, unfortunately, in this game. I mean, do we look at his, could this be the start of a slide for the good old Brisbane Lions? Yeah, I think for Brisbane fans, they're definitely hoping not. But definitely when you lose a key member of your forward line, it can really affect your performance on the field and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this I, I mentioned this to you off camera but you want to talk about an all-time jinx I, I was talking about Brisbane's clean bill of health last week and how that's helped them in their premiership quest and sorry about that go and lose Eric Cook with the next week that's, that's definitely a unfortunate happening for Brisbane and you just got to hope for their sake that they're able to keep on keeping on because they've been really really good up to this point I mean they've been very good in one of the couple of teams in the league that we've been able to look at as a true premiership contender but a 32 point loss to St. Kilda at home at the Gabba that's definitely something that you can't really afford to have well and it's and it's a little bit too is I think St. Kilda is starting to get back to what they were last year I think last year they were this incredible pressure team they played really really well having Rowan Marshall and Patty Ryder back is is great because I think that really has been the catalyst to this midfield getting better Zach Jones is back They're they're a lot healthier than they were there at a time when they were getting spanked on more than one occasion we jump from one upset to the next upset as Gold Coast at a windy and crazy Ballarat Mars Stadium in Ballarat, knock off the GWS Giants by one, 65-64. I mean, the Giants just, they get to this time of the season, fortunately, start fading like the sunset. Yeah, and this is, this is one of those ones where, it, like you said, this is going to kind of start the long list of crazy results over this past round. And greater Western Sydney, man. I mean, they're, they're hanging on, they're trying to get into the finals. And like, 
like a couple of us have said before the season, I mean, I, I picked GWS to get back into the finals this year. I think that they've been kind of unfortunate in terms of the injuries that they've been suffering over the last couple of years or the last couple of months, I should say. And now they go into this latter half of the season and they're going and losing to Gold Coast. And it's one of those ones where you can't, you're going to end up looking back on it at the end of the season going like, man, it, all we needed was a couple more points and we would have won. And you get to those points where you're just like, oh, man, that, there's four points we lost. So there's a couple of points we could have had. So GWS just hanging on by a thread now. Definitely. And in, in, in all, all, all respect to Stewie do all due respect, great coaching job, getting, getting this team to kind of buy in and Tuke Miller has been absolutely outstanding. I really hope he gets an all Australian. He's been playing absolutely lights out. We jumped to it. We had just discussed it just a little bit ago. We had talked about tips that we didn't mind missing and sir, I don't know about you. I know we both tip the doggies to win this, but, but our good old beloved swans give us a nice little present saying, I don't think so. 19 point win 79 60 in a game that in my opinion, this is the swans putting that flag marker down that we're legit contenders. Now look at us. And I, I love the smile on your face as you read that whole thing. And that's, that's definitely how I'm feeling too. I mean, this is, one of those ones where you're, you're looking at the Swans and you have to think, dang, these guys are really legit. I mean, let, let's take a look at this. Look at the ladder real quick. Number one, I mean, you lost to Melbourne, but it was a very good performance, re- realistically speaking. Beat Geelong. Now beat the Dogs. Beat the Lions. Just a little bit short against Port. Hammered West Coast. Almost beat Fremantle. I mean, these are all top quality teams that the Swans are either beating or putting up really good results up against in losing efforts. So this is a, this is a young Sydney team with a couple of veterans that are really experienced. And these are, this is a hungry group. I mean, they're really looking to, like you said, stamp a flag in the ground and say, Hey, look at us. We're, we're contenders. Now we're really here already with a chance to go and win the flag this year. And it's really awesome as a Swans fan to see that. And the other crazy thing that you think about it too is is that they did the, they win this game by more than three goals, but Buddy Franklin and Tommy Papley, two of their best goal scorers, combined for one goal. Yeah, I mean Jordan Dawson just had an incredible game: twenty six disposals, three goals. I mean that that's a performance that I I can say I didn't see that coming, and I don't think a lot of people could say that they saw that coming. And the fact that this was against the Western Bulldogs and a team that everyone's been talking about with an amazing midfield and amazing possession team with it that is able to get 30 disposals or more for several different guys across their midfield line. I mean, this is, this is a really good, really amazing performance by Sydney to be able to go to the dogs to Marvel stadium and get the win. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely pricked the ears of many in Melbourne. Now we've got many Vic media who are kind of writing the swans off as the, as the weak team in the eight, they'd be the team that falls out. Unfortunately, a couple other teams have, have taken that mantle and we will talk about one of them coming up as if you look at this final score, you would have no idea that it was completely opposite of the three-quarter score as Collingwood knocks off the mighty Richmond Tigers, 87-71, a 16-point win. But, I mean, I watched the end of this game. Richmond led by 30 at three-quarter time. Yeah, and this kind of just goes to show just how Richmond's season has been up to this point. I mean, they started off all right. They were kind of holding on in mid-middle of the eight, middle of the eight, and then nosedive. I mean, this has just been a complete collapse on all ends for the Tigers. And you have to wonder what the offseason is going to look like for them and how they're going to try and get themselves back up to premiership contenders again because their chances of winning the flag this year are now practically zero. I mean, there's still a mathematical chance, of course. But, I mean, this Richmond team just does not look like any bit of a threat to any big-time team right now. I mean, they – they, they're not just losing to anybody. They're losing to, to Collingwood. They're losing to Gold Coast. I mean, these are teams that last year they would have been beating by like 60 points. I mean, maybe not Collingwood by 60, but you know what I'm saying. But this, mm-hmm. this is just a complete shock that Richmond not only is losing these games, but just completely collapsing in the way they did against Collingwood. 
Yeah, and just and unfortunately the injuries are absolutely snake biting them, and unfortunately their matchup this week does not give me a ton of confidence that they're going to keep this losing. They're going to nip this losing streak that's up to four in a row now. So we jump to it, and yes, I'm I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but another upset ends the round as the West Coast Eagles at home fall to North Melbourne. Yeah, I'm I'm lost for words with this West Coast team, Donnie. I mean, every time that you think that you have these guys down, that you think you know what they're going to get out of the West Coast Eagles, they go and completely pull one out of the back, and they they either win a crazy game or they lose a crazy game. And this one is a loss at home against the bottom team on the ladder. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. I mean, you would think that they're going home to Optus, they're going to be fine. Nope. You think that they're looking good. They're in the eight. Nope. They're, they're going and losing to North Melbourne. So I, I will say this right now. I'm officially not picking West Coast for any more games this season for any reason, no matter where they are playing. So West Coast, sorry. Goodbye. You've lost me. Uh, the crazy part is I said I said the same thing to a friend of mine. I, I said I've lost all hope in the West Coast Eagles now. I don't think I could tip them ever again because this one was – now, I, I will give this a little bit. I, as I've said to a few people, I think Mother Nature really helped out North Melbourne in this. They bucketed down rain before the game and several times during this game. And West Coast, for some weird reason, does not play well in the wet. And North Melbourne's workmanlike, grind it out type of style really fit wet weather footy. And I think that really, really helped them win this game. But unfortunately, this this puts the tailspin. And not only was it Richmond, but now West Coast both look very vulnerable to the point where both teams who were in the eight only two weeks ago, two rounds ago, could be both out of the finals come the next six weeks. Now, before we jump on to the tips for round 18, we got to talk about it, sir. I mean, COVID chaos has struck again because there for a while we had Victoria was the only safe state, the only state that had no COVID cases. They hadn't worried about it. It had been almost four weeks since they'd had a COVID case. Well, unfortunately in the Carlton Geelong game, there was not only one, but two confirmed cases. So Victoria now is going into lockdown. I mean, are you at all worried? Like I am just the tiniest bit that the season is now looking a little bit in peril because a lot of these teams are having to escape to Queensland and Perth. And with some of these border closings being a little bit, a little bit tighter in some of these other States, are we worried at all that we may get a stoppage in this AFL season? Yeah, I think it's always got to be in the back of our minds, especially after everything that we saw last season with everything in terms of stoppages and, stop and go and all this type of stuff and relocations and all that. So I think you can't really take anything off of the table at this point, but it's just one of those things where one, I do want to say I applaud the AFL for having the courage to be able to say, okay, there's one or two cases here. All right, get everyone out, move it here, move it here to be able to have the options and the ability to be able to move teams at a moment's notice is great. Is it the best thing for players physical and mental health probably not and having to go away from their families for x amount of time that's definitely not what you want to see and definitely not what you want to end up putting these players in a position to have to do but i do want to applaud all the players the coaches the stabs all all the players and everyone who is a part of this for being flexible enough to to handle moving across state lines at a moment's notice and going here or going there at a moment's notice and just being like, okay, if we need to do this to get the season done, we'll do it. But if it does get to the point where they need to stop the season, I mean, at this point, I mean, I guess I wouldn't necessarily be too surprised, but I do hope that it doesn't have to get to that point. I'm hoping that maybe Queensland and Perth can step up Queensland, Perth and Adelaide, uh, Queensland, Western Australia and Southern Australia can be able to kind of work something out to where maybe they can keep the season going. We won't have to stop. Hopefully this Victorian quick snap lockdown that they're going to do hopefully negates a huge outbreak like they did the previous time. And maybe we should be all good. So let's, we'll stay on the pot. We'll jump back to the positive. We'll jump into our tips. One game has already ended. We will not give the results because like last week, we'd rather talk about them in a full round. So really quick, 
who was you? I know you probably already know the result. Who was your tip for Frio versus Geelong? My tip would have been Geelong. Okay, my tip was my tip was Geelong. So uh, we'll, we'll discuss that one next week. We jump to it. A very interesting one now that it is a Metricon Stadium. It was supposed to be at the MCG, so it will be in Queensland. It will be the Richmond Tigers hosting in Queensland, hosting the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, this one's going to be really interesting. We'll have to see how Hipwood's absence will be dealt with by the Lions and then whether or not Richmond can snap the streak of losing games. So I think that it's going to become five in a row for Richmond. I think that Brisbane's still good enough. They're still in their home state. Yes, it's at Metricon, so it's not necessarily their home ground, but I think that Brisbane's still got enough quality in that side to where they'll get the win. And I am 100% with you. I think Brisbane has enough. All the injuries in the back line, I think, are still going to cause some issues. I think Danaher and Cameron are still very, very dangerous. You still have McStay up there. It'll be really interesting to see how they replace McAdam in the defensive end. But I think Richmond's defensive woes are much, much bigger than Brisbane's. So I am going to tip the Lions on this one. A few games have moved. Originally, it was supposed to be GWS Sydney in this next time, in this next game slot. Unfortunately, they have been moved to the end of the round because they have also been moved up to Metricon. So we'll jump to it. Next game is actually the Gold Coast Suns at Metricon Stadium hosting the Western Bulldogs. This is such an intriguing one. I'm, I'm so close to being the guy that pulls the upset card and picking Gold Coast. And of course, knowing knowing my luck, I'm going to end up looking back on this, picking the dogs and being like, oh, I should have picked the Suns that got the upset. But I, I think that the dogs just have a little bit too much there. I think that they'll get the job done. But if the Suns do get the upset win, just remember that I was on the fence about this one. Aaron Naughton is back, and I think that changes this doggies front line. Um, yes, Libertor is being managed, but I don't think he's as big a loss in this particular game. I think the doggies have a ton of talent. I think the doggies win this, but I agree with you. These Saints are tricky. These Saint, these sons are very, very tricky. Keep an eye on them. I think the doggies win this one, but the, the Suns, they're doing something. I like what Stewie do is doing up there. We jump back to still at the MCG as we speak right now, most likely sounding like it will be behind closed doors. And that is the Melbourne demons hosting the Hawthorne Hawks. For me, I don't see an upset here. I think the Hawks have been rattled because of this secession plan. And I think the demons are getting them at absolutely just the right time. I have the D's and I think the D's could potentially win this one big. Yeah, I'm going to go with the D's here. I don't think it's going to get too out of hand. I think Hawthorne's going to put up a good fight for the first half of this match, but I do think the D's are going to end up getting the win here. All right, we jump to another fascinating one for me. I cannot wait for this one. Currently, it is still set for Marvel Stadium. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this one. But the Saint Kill the Saints hosting the flat track bullies themselves, the Port Adelaide Power. Uh, who do you got in this one? I'm going to go with St. Kilda. I think that the injuries for Port Adelaide are mounting up at the wrong time. I think St. Kilda is putting themselves into good form. Josh battles out, but I think that St. Kilda getting Patty Ryder back, having a lot of these other players in the team getting on to into form at the right time. I think St. Kilda is getting this matchup right at the right time that they would want to play Port Adelaide. Depending on where this match is, it'll be interesting to see, but I actually am going to go with St. Kilda here. I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm picking the Saints. I don't like the way Port Adelaide is playing. If the game is played in Marvel Stadium, St. Kilda plays St. Marvel really, really well. I think Patty Ryder and Rowan Marshall have been an absolute godsend to this Saints team after some ugly games without both of them. So I got the Saints as well. We jump to it. Next game, the North Melbourne Roos versus the Essendon Bombers, a couple of young up-and-coming whippersnapper teams. Who do you got coming down with the win on this one? I'm going to go Essendon here only because of the fact that they're really looking like they're playing well right now. They're going to get Dyson Heppel back. I think that the Essendon side are looking really good. I do like the way that North Melbourne's been playing. They got the win up in, in Western Australia, but I think that Essendon are playing too well at the moment. I think the Bombers will get the win here. 
I think the Ruse keep this one close, but I have the Bombers winning this one in a cracking one for, for a decent time for us, 9.35 on Saturday night, but we'll have to see. I know you and I have a previous engagement earlier in the day. We'll discuss that at the end of the episode. We jump to it next game. The old rivals, Lockhorns again. The Collingwood Magpies face the Carlton Blues, and for me, I have the Pies. I think the Pies found something when they played Richmond Tigers. I think they, they really need to just go after it. This Carlton team is susceptible for big runs. I, I'm going to go with the upset on this one, and I'm going to go with the Pies. I'm with you. I'm riding the Mason Cox train. I'm going to go with Collingwood here, and I, I'm, I'm just hoping that we get a good game out of Mason Cox for all of us American fans. And I, I, was, I was saying about West Coast that I'm not picking them anymore this year. I'm going to keep picking Collingwood as long as they got Mason Cox in the team. I'll tell you this though. I don't know if you saw it, but he actually helped their VFL team knock off Richmond with a last, with a last late tackle that kept Richmond from going down the field. So he continues to be the thorn in the side of the Richmond Tigers, whether it's their AFL or VFL team. We jumped to it to team that you had just mentioned Adelaide Oval, Adelaide Crows via the West coast Eagles. And I'm with you. I got the crow. I'm going to go with the crows in this one because the crows are at home. They get Tex Walker back and I, the Eagles have, They've burned me too many times. I'm not touching that stove anymore. Neither am I. I'm going Adelaide Crows. All right. We go to the game that you and I are both going to be super interested in, the Battle of the Bridge up in Metricon Stadium. That will see the GWS Giants facing our beloved Sydney Swans. Did the Swans get their third win in a row and another win over a team in that run for the finals? Or did GWS pull off a win again? I'm going with Sydney here, and I think that the addition of Canelio is going to be really crucial for GWS, but I think that Sydney's playing really good football at the moment. I think that the addition of Robottom back on the side, Sinclair going in as well to provide support for Hickey and the Ruck, I think that's going to be really crucial. I think that Sydney is playing very well at the moment. They're going to ride high off of the momentum of beating the Dogs in Marvel Stadium. I think that it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be another really tight game, but I think we're going to get a classic performance out of Buddy Franklin putting the team on his back. I think we're going to see a bag from him. I'm going to go with a Buddy bag and a Sydney one. Uh, this this is a fun one because, uh, yes, Canelio is back, but the problem is there are two massive outs for GWS that I think really flipped this game more towards Sydney than I even thought originally. Lockie, Whitfield, Lockie Whitfield is out with a concussion, late arriving concussion, unfortunately. And the big mummy, the former swan himself, big Shane Mumford is also not playing in this game. And Tom Hickey, not having to face the guy that really kind of was one of the reasons why he had his PCL injury that he had earlier in the season, I think is a massive uptick for Tom Hickey and the swans. Um, if I remember correctly, the, the squad that has come out is the extended squad. I'm not sure. I don't think Callum Sinclair will be in because then that means I think Armadi is out and Armadi is playing really, really well. I'm interested to see, do they bring in Robottom for James Bell or do they stay with the team that just beat the doggies? It, Longmire's got some interesting selection um, with his emergencies that he still hasn't completely set yet. So if Robottom he'll have comes, a little bit more time too with the rescheduling of the game. He's going to have exactly. a little bit more time to figure out what he wants to do as well. Exactly. So I, I, I'd be very interested to see this bell come out for Robottom, which I think is the only move. And then I think he keeps Colin O'Reardon as the Medisum. And I think that's the way he'll do it, but we'll have to see bell played really, really well against the doggies, but I think he fit well against a bigger, not as fast, but more fast moving team. He really needed the tackling pressure that bell will bring where with GWS, I don't think you have as big a midfield as, as the doggies do. So I think robot may come in, in this game, but it will not shock me if he stays with the team that he does. I think this is a good Surprisingly, a good change for the Swans going up to Metricon because it was supposed to be a Bellarat, and it, Bellarat is very windy, very cold, which I think did, would, would have adversely affected the way the Swans have been playing the last few weeks. So I think the move up to Metricon actually, I think, benefits the Swans even more than Ballarat was. So I'm going to have the Swans in this one. I agree with you. I think this is a classic. I think this is really, really a tough game because these teams are getting after it. GWS plays better against the better sides. Swans play better against the better sides. I think this is going to be an absolute cracker and a great ending to the round. Now, 
It's really going to stink, though, at 310, though. (laughs) Yeah. What I will say is if the results go as we are thinking, if we both both pick St. Kilda over Port and we both pick Sydney over GWS, if those results happen and the percentages go a certain way, then we could see the Swans leapfrog Port Adelaide for fifth spot. And so that could really make things interesting in Sydney's battle for a top four spot. Yeah. And it, it'll be very, very interesting to see how that goes. That, that will be definitely, I think a lot of Swans fans now are going to be watching the ladder more to see where they end up more than are they going to make the finals now? I think they've, they've got one foot in, they've got one foot, if one foot into the finals, just a couple more wins here in just the right places. And I think they can solidify themselves into a finals campaign after a couple of non-finals seasons sir and i think that is going to wrap up our our section on footy which then gets us to yes ladies and gentlemen we're at it the most my favorite point of the entire podcast brad's crazy stat of the week well we're going to go for coincidence and a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of nostalgia here. So we're going to go to the NBA Finals that has been going on, and we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks here. They just evened the series at 2-all against the Phoenix Suns, and the Milwaukee Bucks are the second team in NBA history to have a 40-point score in three consecutive games in a single NBA Finals. The other team was the 1993 Chicago Bulls, who had four straight all by Michael Jordan. And you want to know who they were all against? the Phoenix Suns. Wow. <laughs> Crazy <laughs> coincidence, is, huh? That is amazing. That is an absolutely outstanding coincidence and fact and stat. That is absolutely awesome. I think, sir, that will bring us to the end of our podcast. And I know you and I are going to have quite a fun Saturday. We get to go down to Kansas City. We are both members of the Des Moines Roosters Aussie Rules Footy Club here in Des Moines, Iowa. And we have a game this weekend against Kansas City and St. Louis. So for those of you that listen to the podcast, we will let you know how we do next week after at, towards the end of the podcast. Brad, how excited are you to get back on the footy field? Oh my goodness. I've been waiting for this day very anxiously for the last couple of months being back in trainings and being able to see all the guys is great fun, but it's so great to actually really hit to hopefully kick a couple of goals game and just to be able to be back on the field in a real match for the first time in two years is going to be really, really awesome. So I can't wait. It's going to be a fun day driving down and back and it'll be really, hopefully a really fun drive back, hopefully being able to talk about a win for our boys but it'll be a very fun day regardless. Maybe even two, considering we get, we get two, two games down there. So hopefully, hopefully we True. can pull off a couple of victories down there. So, so we will let you know how that goes. Keep an eye on the social media. If you want to keep an eye on uh, the Des Moines Roosters, DM Roosters Footy on Twitter. Also follow myself at Coach Hess 40 on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, that is another episode of our podcast, Coach Hess's Sports Corner. We want to thank you again for listening. If you like our podcast, if you like what we do, Please rate, subscribe, let your friends know. Again, a couple of old boys talking talking soccer, talking footy. We talk college sports. We talk anything that you would like. Let us know. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you again next week.